Hello there and welcome to The Sound of the Loons, presented by Alina Health Orthopaedics. Callum Williams alongside Kindred D. St. Aubin. Later on in the show, we'll be hearing from Hassani Dotson on his career growing up at just south of Seattle as he helps us preview Minnesota United hosting Seattle Sounders. First though, Kindred, before we talk about the United States qualifying for the World Cup, it feels amazing to say that. Talk me briefly through the last game for Minnesota United. It feels like an eternity ago now, but it's it's still an important victory, uh, unbeaten, and a 1-0 win over San Jose Earthquakes the last time we, we were able to get into the booth and, and call a game. I was just going to say that you're going to make me recall that game. It feels <laughs> like it was an eternity ago, and there's been so much soccer in between there with all these international games and the guys going away and watching World Cup qualifiers and keeping an eye on all the Minnesota United guys that have been away. So, um, But, yeah, I mean, that was an absolute must win for Minnesota United against San Jose. And I think we all probably felt like it should have and could have and um, been more than that. Uh, but I do think ultimately all that mattered is the three points. And it was really more about the performance. There was never a doubt in my mind that that was going to be a Minnesota United victory over San Jose. It never felt like there was even a inkling of a, you know, any sort of offensive Attack. I don't know if Dane Sinclair had to make a save hardly in that match. So mm. different than the other games against San Jose were in games past, even though they weren't in great form, you always felt like there was maybe a threat or two going forward or on the counter and transition. That game to me felt in hand um, from the first whistle and um, a much needed win for Minnesota United at home at Allianz Field uh, in 2022 to get that home record off to the right, the right start, um, having not won there yet. So I think all good. Um, I think some positive performances and some that you still are trying to figure out what it's going to look like. I think that people are still going to be wondering when and if the goals are going to come for this club. And I think they will. And um, slowly but surely that we see that offense kind of starting to melt and create, recreate itself with Luis in the lineup up top and Reynoso. And if Robin comes back in the mix or we've sound, seen Bangugugle, uh, Longwane, was that better? You're getting there, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I feel like my daughter can do it better than me. <laughs> you just make me nervous now every time I try to say it. Um, but I think that we're slowly starting to see what this team can be, and, and there's chemistry that still needs to evolve. And you add a new number nine like Luisa Maria into the mix, um, coming back into the fold, it's just going to take a little time. So um, they needed that when it was a, a good three points. How guilty is Matias Almeida for overthinking things? Oh, man. You know, I, I'm really torn about Matias Almeida in the sense that, like, when he came into the league, he clearly has this impeccable coaching record, right? We've seen him do all sorts of things in all sorts of leagues as a player and a coach, and they brought him in for a high price tag because of his abilities to lead, to get guys to buy into his system. And even though the first couple seasons, he had this crazy man-marking system all over the field, you could give him some props and some credit because he stuck to his guns on that. He did not change. People thought it was wonky. It wasn't going to work. The team would fizzle, but they'd have these high peaks and um, these low valleys throughout the season. And then now it feels like he's not sure what he wants his team to be. Mm. And so he's not straight up on the man marking, but he's also not in a very specific formation and style where guys seem to know what they're doing. We've talked about Jackson Yule. We talked about it a lot playing center back. And then all of a sudden in that game, he was back into his more of a holding midfielder role. Um, and they dropped, I believe it was Eric Rometty into the, the center back role. So I, I'm not really sure. And he just looks disinterested. And when your head coach starts to look disinterested, that doesn't bode well for the whole group because they all see that body language and they read that. So I think it's, uh, I would be shocked if he lasts the whole season. And I don't know if he wants to be here for the whole season. He doesn't look like he wants to be here. And it might be better off for the San Jose Earthquakes if that happens because they need to get on the right track. And they've been off the rails a little bit here now for quite a few years. If you think about the GM changes, the coaching changes, basically since Dominic Kinnear um, was let go. They haven't been able to really find what they're looking for. Interesting to see what happens with Almeida. As you mentioned, he was offered the, the Paraguay job um, and, and turned it down before Skelotto ended up taking it. Um, I agree. I'm just not entirely convinced he's fully committed anymore. I think he's obviously irritated. Some of his comments when Hector Herrera signed for Houston Dynamo, um, his comments there insinuated he was unhappy with the lack of commitment from ownership. It'll be very interesting to see. Uh, whilst we're talking of, of Paraguayans, by the way, in terms of him turning down the Paraguay job, um, 
Minnesotan's very own Paraguayan, Luis Amaria, made it two goals in two games. Um, typically Amaria-type goal, playing off the shoulder, peeling off the shoulder uh, with a good ball in from Robin Lourdes. It, it feels as though, and we've been saying for, for so long, Kate, that this team is about as complete as, as can be in MLS, apart from the fact that they don't have a genuine goal scorer. They, they create chances that Adrian Heath's teams always create chances. But it came down to the fact that they didn't have someone to put the ball in the net on a regular basis. It feels now, and I know it's early, but it does feel as though that issue has now been eradicated with Amaria scoring two and two. I I love that he scored two and two, and those are very, very Luis Amaria type of goals. And it's like Adrian Heath knows what he's talking about, get the guy service, and he'll mm. find a way to put him away, which is exactly what Luis Amaria did and what they know they can get from him. I'm still not necessarily convinced that it's eradicated the complete issue because I do think others need to contribute. You sure. want the number nine that can score the goals and will finish the chances in the box in those moments, put himself in the right spot, needs one touch to bury it, whatever it might be, whether it's a volley or a deflection or making the near post run, whatever it might be. But it still remains a little bit to be seen for me because they they have so much quality in their attacking players and not just Luis and not just Ray and Robin. And we've seen... Um, Huang Wane come in now and we've seen Fragapane what he can do we just we're going to talk to Hassani Dotson his late arriving runs on top of the box how valuable that can be um, as a goal scoring threat and Ariaga. I mean we haven't even he's got quality on set pieces and again just you know doing the work to get forward so I think that they have this goal scoring capabilities and I'm, I'm excited to see them maybe unleash a few in a game and I think that team needs this get two, three goals in a game and really feel like you've solidified, played a, a complete 90 minutes. And if you can continue to get Luis Amaria's service, he will find a way to put it away. And that is a confidence that he has in, in himself. And I think that's what the teammates, his teammates have in him as well, that if you get it anywhere in and near and around him inside the box, um, he'll find a way to finish it. And that is something that you just can't really put almost a value on because when your teammates have that confidence in you and the player has the confidence in themselves, that goes a really long way in, in being willing to willing to whip that ball in, to put mm. that ball in in a position where the guy doesn't have to be wide open. He'll just find a way to get it done. And that's what Luis Almaria does for you. You mentioned international football. So before we go to break here, um, again, we're recording this on uh, Thursday afternoon. So the feeling's still very fresh with the United States qualifying for the World Cup, um, which, again, sounds amazing to say. There's an element of relief there, no doubt, as well. After uh, At one stage, they were 2-0 down uh, in San Jose against uh, Costa Rica last night um, with about 30 minutes to play. And all I could think was, oh, no. Please, please. And, and it, it would have taken Like it something. can't be possible. Right. But with this team, you just never know. So, I, I, and, and with football in this country, it just, if it was going to happen anywhere, it would have happened here. And um, anyway, th- there is a sense of relief with, with the national team qualifying for the World Cup. Um, they are back where they belong. Um, what was your thoughts and your takes on the performance, though? Because it was a rather subdued and disappointing end to the qualifying campaign. And yet there was still champagne and celebration and what have you, as they, they should be into, there should be an element of celebration, in my opinion. But um, it, it felt very odd, didn't it, the way that the, the evening ended after the, the results? Yeah. And, you know, I mean, uh, clearly I'm happy and excited that they've qualified for the World Cup. But I also feel very like this wasn't this is where they belong, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's an exciting celebration, celebratory moment because they didn't qualify in 2017 for the 2018 World Cup, but that never should have been the case. Mm -hmm. That shouldn't, that just shouldn't happen. They should find a way with the talent in this country and available to this country and the, the um, means that this country has to provide and the talent. Again, I'll just keep going back to the talent because we've, we know that you can find it and it's here and it's available. So, I, I agree. I was excited and pumped that they qualified. Um, I wasn't excited about the performance. I, I am truly the believer that you, you want to go in on a high. You want to go on a good feeling. And it's a 2 nothing loss to the quote-unquote Costa Rica B team. Mm. I know they. it's tough to get a win there. It's never happened. Um, but even a draw, I just would have felt better about it. And you could tell in the Kristen Pulisic 
post-game interview. He he was subdued, and it's right after the whistle blew. So it's tough, too, because your emotions are very raw, and you're happy that you've qualified, and maybe now two, three, four days down the line, he'll be more excited about it. But in that moment, you're thinking, you didn't win the game. Yeah. You know, and whether it's a World Cup qualifier or not, you're you're a competitor and you want to win. And to me, you want to go in on a high. So it, it didn't feel like a champagne-worthy moment in that sense that this is where the U.S. should always expect to be is qualifying for the World Cup. And you've also gone in a lot on a, on a loss. So it, I'm really torn about it because clearly, thank God, they made it back in. Yeah. But that's it shouldn't have ever been a question in the last World Cup, and it shouldn't have been a question. And I'm not downplaying CONCACAF. I mean, it's a it's a tremendous, you know, when, when you look at the competition, how difficult it is to play on the road, I'm not downplaying the talent in those other countries by any means. But this is where the U.S. belongs. Mm. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It was a weird moment. It was a weird moment for me when the whistle blew last night. And it was a weird moment. And and I appreciate and you know, the post-game show and the studio show that we were just talking to Mandy Lagos about, and we all had kind of different opinions on how we felt about it. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm happy they're they're back. I'm mm. nervous about the draw. You and I have been talking <laughs> about it um, on Friday. But, yeah, they, this is where they belong. How did you feel about it? I, I have nothing to add in the sense of it was very, very odd, and, and it just felt strange. Uh, but, ultimately, you have to, to look at it from a results point of view and say, well, they did the job. And and I was talking to a friend of mine last night about this. And I wonder, is it time that we start crediting Greg Berhalter um, because of the Gold Cup win, winning the Nations League, um, elements of, of how he's improved um, the, the programme for sure. You know how I feel about Berhalter. I, I'm, I'm, there, there are many irritations that I have um, because I feel as though um, restriction is is there and obvious. Um but ultimately, I think in this situation, you have to say well done because he's achieved the goal and he's arguably gone and done much more than many thought he would as well in the sense of the Nations League victory, winning the Gold Cup and now qualifying uh, for the World Cup as well. All three boxes have been ticked. Um, but I, th- I think that the key thing for me now, Kay, is moving forward. Assessment is going to be monumentally important now ahead of the World Cup. We're assuming as we're recording this in March, there's going to be at least two international windows before the World Cup. We're assuming it'll be the summer, and there's usually one in, in August, September time. At what point do you, as a, a US fan, um, become comfortable with with what what the US has to offer going into the World Cup? Because there's no doubt there's going to be a time to experiment, but at some point there has to be a regularity in terms of style, system, and even a starting eleven to prepare for that World Cup. So at what, at what point is it okay to expect that leading into the World Cup? I think as soon as everybody is healthy and available, that should be expected. You should be able to, and if you can, availability-wise and health-wise, if your choice preferred starting 11 or even 15, let's call it, depending on rotation of of substitutes like that you're going to go to in those moments. The second that is available, you need to start establishing that consistency because the guys know their roles. The subs, the first guys off the bench will know their roles. They know the expectations. And I'm not saying that those guys then get comfortable and think there's no competition for the starting positions, but I'm saying from a regularity standpoint, developing comfort level. I don't know when McKinney's back. I don't know what Brendan Aronson's status is. But when those guys can get back in the mix, I think you have to establish that standard that this is going to be my starting 11. You are going to be the first three, four, five off the bench. And this is the style we are going to play from the very first time you get back together again in the next window. Do you think they they go into the World Cup with a style in mind or – do they have to be open to the teams that they're playing? Because let's be honest, and, and we've been going through several possibilities of the draw on Friday, they're going to play very different against somebody like Iran as opposed to playing against France. Oh, for sure. I mean, you have to adjust and make mindful of the opponent you're going to play against. It's like Adrian Heath on a, on a different level, right, when we're talking club level. Mm. You know, he wants to play the 4-2-3-1, and he has a very specific style that he likes to play, but he also is smart enough to know that depending on who you're playing against, 
you have to adapt and change a little bit within the game. Right. So I think Greg Berhalter has to have the same. You you don't want to be stubborn in your style that you think this can work against anybody. And I, you know, regardless of the situation, come hell or high water, this is how we are going to play. You have to change slightly within the game who you are playing against. And we all know, we saw in CONCACAF, let alone what you're going to see in the World Cup, very different styles that you are going to play against. So I think he has to go in with the the style and the lineup and the 11 and, and the mentality of this is the way we are going to play. This is who I'm going to start. This is who I'm going to have come off the bench. We are still competing every single day. Mm-hmm. But it can't be that every single game you're going into, you're changing four, five, six guys. It just can't. You just, no. this isn't the time now. This is the time to establish some consistency, but still have competition, establish a style and understanding once these pots are drawn, once the groups are drawn, who you're going to be playing against and what you need to do to get a win because all you need is the points to continue to move on and get out of your group and advance in the World Cup. That is what it comes down to. So there's a stubbornness in your style, but also a flexibility in your opposition. And hopefully it, it seems like, Greg Berhalter hopefully will be smart enough now that they're actually getting to the World Cup. He's not coached in a World Cup yet to know that this is what you need to do. It's survive in advance at this point, and you've got to be smart in your decision-making. Okay, we'll take a break and be joined by Hassani Dotson here momentarily. When injury takes you out of the game, it's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopaedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers with convenient locations, virtual options, and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results, and care team. You're always close to the care that you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org slash ortho. Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopaedics. Callum Williams, as always, alongside former golfer soccer star Kendra D. St. Aubin. Today, Kendra, we have a, a really special guest who's always smiling, always happy. And he's got every reason to be smiling and happy all the time because he's playing some fabulous football at the moment, excited for his future. And he's also a brand new dad as well. Hassani Dotson, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Thank you, guys. I'm doing good. How are you guys? Good, good. Just a little bit cold. It, it could be a bit warmer, couldn't it, at this time of year? But, you know, here we are. It's Minnesota. Um, we will talk to you about your career um, growing up playing soccer um, in Federal Way, Washington, uh, and as well uh, as previewing the upcoming game against Seattle Sounders, who I know are a club that are, are closer than a regular club to your heart. Uh, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But first and foremost, uh, unbeaten this season for Minnesota United. How has the season gone so far for you? Um, I think it, all, we all can say it's a lot better than last season. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think it's gone really well. I mean, there's still some things that we'd like to improve on, like completing uh, like a whole game of like dominance in a match. Um but from the results aspect, I think we're pretty um, happy with where we're standing right now. How as an athlete do you kind of balance that? Because you guys do have the results. You haven't lost yet on the season. You've done phenomenal from a defensive standpoint, maybe a little bit needed more on the goal scoring into things. But you guys aren't where you want to be at this point, even though you've not been beaten yet. How do you balance that kind of mentally in, in training every day? Yeah, I mean, I think it's good that everyone's competitive so that um, there's always an edge in training and also – we also know that it could be a little worse with um, some of the chances some of the other teams had, like in the, the draws against Philly away or against Nashville. So um, we have to look at the highs and the lows and, and find that middle ground. You mentioned um, trying to complete a 90 minutes. Adrian Heath had mentioned this to the press a couple of days ago as well. What exactly does, does that mean in your mind? I mean, I think obviously like throughout the game, there's going to be different spells of who's um playing better but I think we kind of have polar opposite in halves you know sometimes we'll start a little slow and then come into the game and sometimes we won't finish the game off like we should um and I think that's could be a little bit normal starting the season but I think it's it's definitely something that uh Gaff's made aware to us and so it's something that we're trying to improve on for this coming game how do you temper the 
how do you view your expectations on yourself for the season based on 2019 when you were drafted to now in, in 2022? How do you sort of gauge your progress through the first handful of games this season? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm always pretty overly critical on myself, but um, I think just it's different just being excited coming into a game and, and trying to expand my role, playing more minutes and then becoming a starter in 2019 to now like, all right, I want to be – one of the best on the field, a leader, and then how do I help um, the team win? How do we become more influential? And then how does that stack up against the other players in the league? So um, I think that's the difference in mindset that I have now compared to them. You, as a footballer yourself, Asani, are about as utilitarian as they come. <laughs> You're traditionally a central midfielder, but we've seen you already several times this year playing at fullback. What are the differences in terms of playing in both positions? And what are the instructions from Adrian Heath when you're playing as a central midfielder, but then as a right or left back? Yeah, I mean, when you play center mid, you have to you see you have to see the game in like 360 view, what's in front of you, what's behind you. Um, and also you're communicating a lot more with a lot more players on your team, you know, to make sure that everyone's uh, in a good shape defensively. And then as a fullback, you're kind of on the island if you're defending one-on-one, you know. Um, and it's just it's a little bit different role. Like you're doing more longer distance sprints, um, whereas center mid you're you're accelerating and decelerating a lot more. And I think um, it is difficult times, you know, to switch back and forth. But um, I think uh, one thing that Adrian tells me is, you know, to trust my instincts. You know, I played there and be confident because the last thing you want to do is be unsure, unconfident, and it leads to um, like a worse performance. Even within those positions, though, there's a lot of variation. Whether you play a holding mid, you play center mid, you play alongside Kerbin Ariaga in the first game at Philly, whether or not you're playing alongside Will Trapp underneath Emmanuel Reynoso. So how do you even in the central midfield role decide what your role is in that match? Yeah, I think it's something that my dad helped me um, like develop a, the understanding of the game and discipline to where Kerbin comes in, it's his first game, and, you know, I kind of play off him. If he is floating around, wants to, you know, drive forward with the ball, I'm like, all right, then I need to be the one that stays, you know. And I think that's a, that's something that the coaches talk about with me well is make sure that, you know, there is always one guy staying, and if he's staying back, then go ahead and have the freedom to run forward. If not, you know, make sure that we're secure. And so that's something that I look at first before I decide to, you know, maybe join the attack. This is a, when you get going, a wonderful transition team. When you're playing as a fullback, though, as you mentioned, that requires an awful lot of running. So we know nowadays the modern-day fullback, you're expected to be involved in the final third a lot more. Mm. But how has your game evolved playing at fullback over the last couple of years when you've had the chance to do so? Yeah, I think for me, I think actually I think 2020 was probably my best year at fullback. I think I was training there more regularly. So, you know, my... Game fitness was more prepared to do that, you know, whereas this year I play like I've trained more center mid and then I, I went out to fullback. Um, I mean, you guys seen Romain do it in 2019. It's it uh, requires a lot. Mm. And then it's also the timing, you know, when to get forward, when to get back, because it's it'd be impossible to go back and forth if you're making the runs at the wrong time. So I think just for me this year, if I'm playing out there again, just watch a little bit more film. And um, when I watched the last game against San Jose, I didn't get forward as much as I'd like to. So, yeah. How much does it depend on who's playing in front of you? You know, and when you're in that fullback role on the, in the, that outside position, how much do you look at who's playing in front of you and what kind of a player or what kind of movement they like to do, whether it's Robin on the right-hand side or Fragapane on the left, whoever mm. it might be, how does that much does that dictate how much you're going to get forward? Yeah, if you look at last year, for example, if you uh, Robin and Ethan, they're completely different uh, right-wingers. Robin likes to come inside a little bit more, so you have more space on the outside. Whereas Ethan... He'll make the running behind, and then you join up to support him, and then you um, go into attacking third that way. That's a, a good point because uh, they are very different, and it's um, about um, creating that relationship with them so they know that you're going forward, so they are also wary on the counterattack too. Has it helped with your footballing IQ as well, Hassani? Because I'm assuming when you're playing at fullback, you're, you're seeing a lot different angles compared to what you would do in the central midfield. Yeah, I think, um, like, first going down – Going out to outside back, you understand, like, you get different type of passes from players. Normally guys in the middle are under pressure, so they hit it out there a little harder, you know, to speed up the game. And so 
when you receive passes or when you're seeing runs being made forward, you're kind of understanding what guys like to do and what maybe you, I could do better when I give the ball to Romain or, or Chase or Kamar, whoever's out there, you know? Um, and so just stuff like little stuff like that as well. I know I talked to you your rookie season about watching tape on guys. You were big into watching on holding midfielders. And you mentioned Ozzy Alonso specifically, guys that you would study because you wanted to emulate some of their characteristics. Once you started playing those fullback roles, was there anybody that you wanted to emulate or that you've seen their game and you want to play like them in a fullback position? Or are you more going to stick to watching the film on the um, midfielders? I'd say I, I'd watch... Like I'd watch Tinnerholm, mm-hmm. um, just because he's like he's athletic, but he's not known for his pace, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, and there's a lot of fast wingers in the league, so it's all about a good starting position. Um, like I gave a goal against Nani with the ball over the top, and that was just bad positioning. And so that's stuff that I look at and see. Well, there's slower guys than me that play out there, so how, what can I do better? And then just um, also looking forward, like looking at like. Main takes a great touch away from the winger to play the ball into the striker. That's something I also look at and um, try to take little parts from everyone's game that are comparable to attributes that I have and try to improve on those. To be fair, Nani wasn't bad, was he? (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, you're not slow. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So let's go back to the start of your career then, shall we? Uh, And when you were playing collegiately at Oregon State, how much did you learn about the game during your collegiate years? I think I matured a lot as as a... person and also I learned the different aspects that uh soccer has like I thought in academy I thought guys were more technical you you learn more about the movement mm. of soccer and all that and colleges more about at least my school Oregon State we're not like a big playing school but more about grinding out results right um facing adversity and all that stuff and you also learn like the politics of the game and stuff like that but you also learn like hey like Playing the pretty stuff isn't always going to make the difference when you're playing against guys who are older than you, more experienced than you, you know. And also that's when I first played, um, like actually played a decent amount of games at outside back. Mm-hmm. I came out of center mid, I played a couple of games, and then both our outside backs had hamstrings. So I played left back for half of the season before I went back in the midfield. So I think that's been helped give me confidence to come in 2019 to, to try and play right back for all preseason and then during the season. So, yeah. How did you end up in Corvallis? What were sort of your options and how did you end up at Oregon State? Yeah, so I didn't even know about playing D1 soccer until like a couple guys older than me that were my friends were starting to go D1, D2 or so I went started playing academy junior in high school and then I started making friends with guys on the the 18s. I saw that they were getting talked to and then it's about what I want to say, May, my junior my junior year, and the academic advisor's like, oh, like what, what's going on? Like this is kind of the time where people start committing, you know, because of scholarships and all that. And I was really unsure. I had like Seattle U. I talked to them briefly. I talked to Seattle Pacific, a D two school, and then I played against Portland um, Academy. And I played really well that game. And then a week later, Oregon State has me go out there and gives me a scholarship. And I was like. Yes, you know, I can't I can't refuse that. So that's how I ended up at Oregon State. Then you ended up being drafted by Minnesota United in the, in the 2019 draft. Um, I'm assuming that's why you were number 31, because you were the 31st pick. Yeah, and also, it's, a, it's actually crazy. It's a lot of stuff. So, so PDO, all the numbers that I wanted were taken, and my girl, her favorite number is 31. So she's mm-hmm. like, oh, be 31. I said, okay, no problem. And then I got drafted 31. I already wore 31 because of her. And then, like, my grandpa sent me a picture of my uh, of my biological father. He wore 31 in high school, and I had, like, a random jersey 31 as, like, a as a toddler. So everything all kind of came together. And so they are like, yeah, you should be 31. No way. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. So, yeah. What about in 2019 when you got drafted? Did you Did you feel like that was an appropriate spot for you in the second round? Or did you feel like you had a chip on your shoulder coming in? Like, where did you view yourself going into the 2019 draft? Um, I know there's, like, a lot of different stuff at play. You know, you can't always see everyone's potential or attributes in the combine. So whether I thought I should be higher, there's also people that didn't have a good combine that thought that they shouldn't be drafted, you know? Mm-hmm. 
So I had no expectations of of where I should really be drafted. I just wanted a fair shot because, like, I played against Abu, I played against Jackson, and I know they're really good players, but I was like, okay, like, they made it, you know, like, I think I just want a chance to see if I can play at that next level, you know? And then also, like, I watched the draft. I heard what, you know, some guys were saying about me, you know? <laughs> so I said, okay, like, I just, I just want a chance. If I'm not good enough, that's fine, you know? And so they gave me the chance, and, and yeah. For me, you should have been Rookie of the Year that year. And, and that's another conversation for another day, for sure. But how much did you learn then in the professional environment as opposed to playing collegiately? Yeah, I think um, in a professional environment, like, um, guys come to, come to work every day. You know, there's no bad person on the roster. And if they are a little less talented, they make up with that work ethic. Mm. Whereas in college, you know, there's only a certain amount of scholarships they can give out. And they try to stretch it as much as possible. And the rest of them, you know, are they join the team, whether it was a walk on or, you know, because they can afford it. So that like leads a lot of other kids out or the kids that just went straight from academy to, to MLS. So I think there's a big drop off between the first 13 guys in college and, and the rest. Um, whereas here, you know, you don't show up to work. The guy, any guy on the team is going to is going to make you pay for it. Did it take you any amount of time to realize that this is a, a, a job versus a part of your academic career, like in college? Because I've heard Adrian Heath talk about that before with different guys and just all of a sudden realizing this is your livelihood. This is your, like you said, show up to work every day. It's a different mindset and a mentality of how you need to take care of yourself on a daily basis and to have some longevity in this career. Um, not for, not really for me. It wasn't really a transition because um, this is something like, I want to work hard so I can play this as, at the highest level as long as I can. And I know, like, I can't take that for granted because as soon as you, as quick as you spiral up, you can fall down even faster, you know? So um, I just try not to take any moment for granted and um, work hard every day and try to improve on what I can. You and I have spoken before about Europe and I'm assuming that's an aspiration still of yours, and we'll, we'll perhaps get to that a little later on. But coming out of college, I'm assuming Major League Soccer was an aim of yours. Yeah, yeah, it was. It definitely was. I, I didn't know how the process was going. Like, I didn't score that many goals. Um, I think Oregon State, like my team, we had some good players, but I think we underperformed, so we didn't. We only made the tournament one time when I was there. So um, I didn't know how realistic it was for me to get there straight from, from college. Um, but like you said, Europe has always been a, a goal for me. And, you know, I'm focused, obviously, number one, on in Minnesota before anything else. I mean, and if the right opportunity comes, then, then yeah. So where would that right opportunity be? Do you, I, I, I know it's not necessarily asking you which league is your preference, but... Everybody has a certain style. I, I think you would fit perfectly into the Bundesliga, but we said to Will Trapp uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think his game would fit perfectly in, in La Liga. Mm. Is there a, a specific way that that you think your career is going to go? Is there a specific way you, you want your career to go? Yeah, I think it just depends on uh, what mindset a person is in. But for me, I mean, if, if the team in La Liga, Premier League, Bundesliga, League One, if the coach wants me and, like, legit wants me and, you know, likes my attributes or wants to work on some part of my game, I'm I'm open to challenge myself in, in every way possible. But, like you said, I think Bundesliga would probably um, suit my, my talents best because it is open. It's a little bit more physical. And, um, you know, I think, I think it's a great league. Yeah. One of your talents is scoring goals from range. I believe we're calling them bangers nowadays. Uh, and I'm blaming you for that phrase, by the way, because it wasn't around until you came around. Um, so Hassani Dotson, bangers only. Um, talk us through through the technique, because we've seen you score some incredible goals. Uh, Kendra and I were talking before you arrived here today about some of the goals you've scored. And I remember specifically the, the volley against Philadelphia, the first goal that you ever scored for, for Minnesota. The unbelievable drive against Cincinnati when you were <laughs> playing it right back, then the goal against Dallas, and then we'll talk a little bit um, later on about the goal against Kansas City and what it meant, but you have a wonderful technique of, of striking the ball. Is that something you've always had or something you've, you've worked out? And, and is that something that 
you, you've had a chance to, to develop over the last couple of years? Um, when I was younger, like real young, like nine, my rec team goalie toe punted the ball and he kicked the ball harder than me. And I was like embarrassed because like we went to like tryouts and um, they had a gun, you know, like us to aim. Yeah, see like how, a radar. Yeah, radar gun. Right, right. And um, so then I was like embarrassed, you know, I told my dad like, hey, I can't shoot. Like I score some goals, but I can't shoot very hard, you know. And so like every day for a month um, after he got off work and before my training, uh, we'd work on shooting the ball because he can shoot the ball pretty hard. Mm-hmm. And then I had a like from then I started having a good shot. But I used to never really shoot the ball. I always wanted to pass the ball, right. or, you know, for the easier goal or something. And then um, I scored a couple of nice goals in college. And um, everybody just, just shoot the ball. Like, you can shoot the ball, shoot the ball, you know. And so then in preseason, I came in preseason. I scored a couple of nice goals in practice. And it was just something that became like a routine. Just get out of your feet, shoot. Get out of your feet, shoot. And then it also helps um, – that Adrian and the coaching staff, they, they tell me, hey, if it's wet, hey, it's like this, make the goalie work, test him, see if he's ready, you know? And so. But is it your technique? Is it more backlift? Or where does the technique come from? How do you work on that? So for me, I think for me, it's the difference if I have a good shot or not is my place foot. My placing foot is close to the ball. Right. And then I just, I strike through it. I don't really try to dip the ball. I don't really. I prefer to lace the ball instead of curving it. And then um, it's easier for me to, to shoot across my body if I go left. And if I'm going right, like right side of the goalie, I swipe across the ball a little bit. But normally I aim just right in the middle of the ball. And for the muscle aspect, I think comes from my, my quads. Mm. I don't really use too much hamstring. So when you're in the gym working on the, on the quads? No. no. I mean, like, <laughs> I, work out. I work out, but... Um, <laughs> That's how I became part of the Puffy Boy Committee. <laughs> the what? What's the Puffy Boy Committee? Yeah. <laughs> the Puffy Boy Committee. So we have just a little joke around because, you know, like Chase and I, we like to wear our socks higher than our knees, right? Mm. And they always fall down. You know, and we're not like the slenderest of builds, but we're not chunky, you know? <laughs> we just got like big bones, you know? So we call it the Puffy Boy Committee. <laughs> Are you, know? you the only two on it? Um, Robin is our captain because... <laughs> He's our captain because he's a puffy boy, but he still has, like, soft feet, like twinkle toes, you know, when he's playing. So he's what we aspire to be. You know? Oh, so, yeah. got it. I like it. We yeah. learn new things in yep. this podcast. Yep. This is an open podcast. Hey, speaking of, though, that when you're talking, if we're going to get real technical on the striking ability, there's one you can maybe tell me a little better, but when you're watching training and you know there are some guys that just it maybe sounds different or looks a little different when they strike it. For me, that's sometimes when Abud and Lottie can strike something really cleanly or in a certain aspect. Who Who is that for you when you watch Minnesota United where you're just like, there's a different sound to it almost when they strike it? Um. Like, I think, like you said, Abu has a good finishing ability. Ray can finish the ball well. Same with, like, Luis has a nice technique when he curves the ball. And I like all their, their finishes because I typically don't curve the ball that much. And they bend that thing in the top corner. Um, also, like, Robin, he's really, mm-hmm. like, his form is really clean. Um, but in terms of sound... Well, it doesn't have to be sound. I was just thinking Yeah, I'd say about form. It. And then Romain, sure. he has a nice knuckle. Like, he jokes around, calls himself <laughs> little Cristiano, you know, shoot as he shoots the ball for it. But he has a nice little knuckle, so. What'd you make of his new hairstyle? It's closer to the one when he first came here with, you know. It's a little shorter yeah. still, but uh, it was definitely, it was nice. It caused a lot of laughs and, and jokes <laughs> in the locker room. And then his birthday was a couple of days later, so, yeah. Um, going from from striking the ball supremely well to perhaps... Not striking it so well, but it still resulted in a goal. Perhaps, in my opinion, your your finest moment in a Minnesota United jersey was the, the 2019 season towards the end of it. And, and that goal against Kansas City to secure playoff football for Minnesota for, for the first time ever in MLS. What do you remember from that moment? And take us through what it meant to, to you, to the team, to, to the Twin Cities, because it was a magnificent moment. Yeah, I just remember getting subbed onto the game. It was the first time... I got subbed onto a game where we wanted to win the game instead of um, keep the result. And so I don't know if I was subbed on to keep the 1-1 mm. and then we play for another day or, or to try to get the win. Because normally, you know, we had a lot of wingers or strikers on the team that they'd come on um, before me. And I remember I gave the ball to Ozzy, and it was just the game was it's slower in the second half than the first half normally just because of the legs of everyone. And 
Um, he just played me the ball, and I was going to play Ethan, and the guy jumped on the pass, so I dribbled past him. And then the next guy was like, yeah, I'm going to do the same thing, you know? And then when I went to shoot the ball, I, like, I tried to smack it, but I, like, whiffed it a little bit. And then it hit the defender and went in, and um, it was such a surreal moment. And so, yeah, words can't even put in to describe that. But, yeah, that's how the, the play went for me. So, yeah. What was the celebration like with the group? It was great. The locker room was amazing. And I remember when I went to go do the knee slide, I, Ethan, he messed up a couple of weeks before. So I was like, I really got to, you know, put some <laughs> some energy into this one. But uh, it was a great feeling for everyone and um, obviously for the club. Okay, let's go to uh, your roots and Federal Way, Washington. Um, which, for those unaware, is, is at least to, to my knowledge, and if it's wrong, we'll blame Google, um, 23 miles south of Lumen Fields. So you have been around the Seattle Sounders for some time. What do the Seattle Sounders mean to you? Is, is there affection towards them? Is there dislike towards them? What, what do they mean to you? It's a, it's a love-hate relationship. Um, obviously, my favorite team is Chelsea, but... I'm very proud. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm very proud uh, to be from the Seattle region. So I, when they were in, I think it was the NASL days, um, I went and I watched uh, so many other games because my mom worked at the concession stands at uh, Starfire for a little bit. And so after we had a couple games, she stayed and worked there. And then they had a game later. And I just watched like Leighton O'Brien and. Um, even Sebastian Latou, mm-hmm. um, yes. like a bunch of the the older names playing um, for that team. And so, like, I, I really grew up, you know, watching them a lot. And then when they became MLS team, it was a big deal. And Ozzy and Freddie Montero, my favorite players, you know, everyone, everyone was a Seattle Sounders fan, in, at least in my area. And then when I tried out for a pre-academy, I didn't make the team. And so I was devastated. And then uh, Crossfire Academy, they said, hey, we're planning a trip to go and train and play against the Inter Milan Academy. We'll pay for you to go, but you have to commit to, to Crossfire. And, you know, I was disappointed. I felt like I should have made the, the Sounders team. So I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're enemies now, you know. <laughs> so um, so definitely a love-hate relationship with them, but um, definitely respect what they've done for, you know, to grow the love of the game for me and, and for my area. So, yeah. So complicated. Very complicated. Very complicated. Did you ever regret the decision to make that commitment in that moment of emotion? No, because um, my first year we we tied, we beat them and tied them, if I can remember correctly. And then the second year um, we beat them twice and we lost them once. But we were against them. We had a better record against them. And then obviously some of my players uh, – some of my friends that were on the Sounders, they didn't um, they didn't make the jump. Or there's like, you know, they have 30 players on their team or something like that. So they, a lot of people didn't get to develop the way that, that that me and some of the other guys on Crossfire got to. So, yeah. So really, you should be a Seattle Sounders homegrown player. But you're not. <laughs> yes. And, and our, uh, their loss, rather, is, is our gain here in Minnesota. So what's it like when you play against the Sounders then? Is it overly emotional for you or is it strictly professional down the middle there has to be an edge surely um i try to keep it as professional as possible because i don't want to make any rash decisions in either direction um when we do beat them it is a little sweeter (laughs) um but i remember the first time i played in uh the stadium and it was just like everything coming together because i've been to games watched them against chelsea a couple times barcelona and um, everything came together. I was like, wow. Like, that was my moment. I was like, wow. Like, this is kind of crazy. So, so yeah. What was it like for you then when you, you stepped out on the field? As you said, it was kind of crazy. Everything came together. But could you see yourself in the stands, you know? And, and did you did you have that moment where you, you were on the field and you thought to yourself, man, I was just a kid, like, a couple of years ago in the stands, and, and look at me now. Yeah, so it was actually right when we were, we were just walking out to start a game because I started there at the end of the season and I didn't play against them at home earlier in the season. So I walked out against them and I was like, man, this stadium looks a little bigger than I remember, you know, and I was <laughs> a kid, you know. 
And then I'm walking, I see them doing the chants that I used to do. And obviously it's the field for the Seahawks as well. And I was like, man, this is, this is truly an amazing moment. Like you see the rave green. And then, I mean, some people seemed like some people were knew where I was from. You know, I got some good support and all that, but it was like, like I said, it was like everything coming full circle. I was like, not like I made it, but this is a really, like I'm really excited to have made this moment during obviously my rookie year and how I was playing. So, yeah. What was that like for your family? You've spoken a lot already about your dad and, you know, training, and we've had the the benefit of seeing your brother, meeting your brother as mm. he's trained here with Minnesota United. What, what was that like being in that stadium? And I'm assuming some family and friends probably had to get quite a few tickets. Mm. What was that like for them? I mean, it was big. I think they're all really proud of me. And um, they all were disappointed, that obviously, that we lost to them. You know, they wanted me <laughs> to give it to the, mm. to the Sounders. Um, but um, I think that was probably, at least from my extended family, like one of the biggest moments because they all they know is Sounders. They don't really watch too much soccer, like my extended family. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, pretty huge. Like, oh, he's coming to play the Sounders. You know? <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, yeah. And then you got to play alongside Ozzy Alonso, who I'm sure was a player you had much admiration for over the, the time you were watching the Sounders. What was it like to then play with him here at Minnesota? Yeah, I mean, it was huge just to see. Um, it's obviously later in his career, but see what he's all about, how he, you know, how he acts. And um, even my brother, like, there's a picture of him with Ozzy when he's little. Like, he was like, oh, that's Ozzy, you know? And, um, I mean, it was huge. All, all my friends were, were talking about it. I got drafted there, and they figured out that Ozzy was moving from Seattle. That was his first year away from Seattle. Like, oh, you're playing with Ozzy Alonzo, you know? Um, it was uh, it's pretty cool to see someone in your position that you looked up to and then play alongside against just to see, you know, what are the things that he does to take care of his body, what are the things that he does to, you know, on the field to get an edge over his opponents and stuff like that. Was it weird? It was a little weird because, like, I really looked up to him as a kid, but also, like, he's my competition, but he's also mm-hmm. my teammate. So, you know, it's three different three different roles right there, you know what I mean? But um, it was it – was, I'm happy that it went like that, you know. Okay, well, um, this coming weekend, it's it's strange to say there'll be a Seattle Sounders game uh, against Minnesota United and, and Ozzy Alonso is not involved. It's a strange, doesn't feel right, does it? It's really odd. But uh, regardless, it, it's a game that I think whenever the Sounders um, come to town, it, it always feels like there's an element of significance about it just because of the way they hold themselves, the culture of the football club and, and what they've achieved. So... With all of that in mind, how, how do you and the group prepare for Seattle Sounders this weekend? Because I, I don't think, Asani, and you correct me if I'm wrong, looking at it from the outside, it's not been the Seattle Sounders that we've all become accustomed to so far this year. Now, I'm sure the Champions League and the travel and whatnot has played its part, but it, it's not been a particularly pleasant start for them this year. Yeah, I mean, they have a lot of really talented players, obviously, but... Um they're a team that they've been so successful that they know how to ride the hard times. Mm. I think that's something that uh, we learned the hard way when we lost to them in the conference finals or semifinals, however mm. you want to phrase it. Um, so it's not, their form is not something that we're really going to look at, you know, but um, it's something that we want, would like to take advantage of. If we get on the, if we go hard at the start, um, hoping that we can, um, you know, crush their spirits a little early. And, and, you know, make them doubt themselves. But um, like I said, they know how to handle adversity and they're a championship type team. And, you know, they've been through all the ups and downs. So it's not going to be an easy task for us. When you look at the Sounders roster, who's the player on this roster that you absolutely hate to play against, but would you love it if, if he was your teammate? Is there a style of player? Is there a specific player on that roster that just drives you batty? Mm, I think they have... They have a pretty complete roster. I mean, if you look at the the strikers, Rudy Diaz is pretty good, but I think Will Bruin has given us a pretty tough time. He's not some someone that everyone talks about. He's very intelligent and his holder plays really well. Um and in the midfield you got Zhao Paulo and Christian Rodan, you know, they work both uh they play both ends of the, the game very well as well. And then I think the center back knew who He's tough to play against, you know. <laughs> like, he's really athletic. He if talks, people can see your face right now. <laughs> you know. Um, so he's probably be maybe 
number one, just because I, I played an advanced role against them, and he's strong, he's fast, and um, he's kind of unpredictable. So, yeah. We're recording this on Thursday afternoon, so, so we don't know if you're starting at right back or central midfield at the moment, but um, how much do you think, you mentioned João Paulo there, um, sensational footballer, how, how much do you think it'll benefit Minnesota United keeping the ball away from him as much as possible? I think, like, I think he does really well in the build-up play, but I think what he does really well is he wins the ball from a lot of the guy, uh, players that go against him, a lot of the 10s, and then his first pass is forward. And obviously he has the ability to keep the ball, go side to side, but he breaks lines very well once he wins the ball. And obviously he has the he has the ability to make a run with the ball from time to time, but um, I think the what they do really well is they break the midfield line and then they have runners off of that. So it goes into Rui Diaz or Mon- even when Montero played against us, mm-hmm. set the ball, go wide, and they whip the ball in the box very well. I think he's a really good football football player, and um, he's one of the best center mids in the league. Okay, uh, before we wrap things up, uh, the one thing that we wanted to, to finish this with uh, was that you have recently become a dad as well. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. Um, I've been told it's life-changing. Um, I'm assuming by the bags under your eyes that's the case. <laughs> Yeah, it really is. Um, unfortunately, they're not here with me at the moment. Um, they're planning. Everyone's planning to move in the in the summer. But uh, everyone says it's different. But I didn't realize how significant that moment is um, when she, when Petra gave birth to our daughter. It's like nothing I've ever experienced. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously, I'm young, so some people say that's not much. But um, like the love you have for 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 someone that you don't even know is is extreme. You know, I'm already thinking she got her shots yesterday. Mm-hmm. Now I'm already thinking, oh, like I'm away from her. But I'm like, oh, like she's not old enough to where I can take her to ice cream or I can do this and this. <laughs> and it's like I, I'm worried on how to comfort her or if she gets, you know, some of the side effects from the shots. So, so yeah, it's all, it's a whole bunch of emotion. And, um, but it's been great. She just was two months, a couple of days ago. So, yeah. Any specific moment so far that you distinctly remember, whether it's been in person in that short time in the beginning or on FaceTime or something where she did something that you're just. Um, I'd say a big thing. I mean, she's growing so fast every day. I was there. I left last Sunday, I guess two Sundays ago after the San Jose game. And and then uh, I came back on Tuesday and then I went back home on Friday and I was like, it's been like four days and she already looks bigger, you know? And I was like, I was like, no, nah, we got to figure out something so you guys can, can come out earlier. But, um, I mean, obviously the, she's babbling right now, but, uh, we have a little video of where it sounds like she's saying hi. So that was pretty adorable as well. Wonderful. Um, well, listen, Hazani, thank you so much for joining us. Really, really appreciate it. Good luck against Seattle Sounders this coming weekend. Uh, thanks for listening at home as always. And my, Thanks, as always, to Kindred D. St. Aubin, our expert button presser, Andrea Correa. Uh, and, of course, to you listening at home as well, as we said. Um, this has been a wonderful podcast. We'll continue to do these all season. Uh, we may very well concentrate on the academy aspects of the football club uh, next week. So make sure to tune into MNUFC.com for all of that and more. But from all of us here, we'll see you Saturday when Minnesota United host Seattle Sounders.